Glad to have you here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to keep more of what you make. You can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up in just a few minutes, there's a scam that used to be so big, gosh, probably a decade ago, that has roared back. I'm going to fill you in, tell you how to protect yourself from people who are so good at separating you from your money. And later, I want to talk about what do you do, how do you handle things if you are in business for yourself, you are self-employed. We got some housekeeping to talk about if you end up deciding to go to work for yourself. So I have had a lot of experience recently updating 10-year-old information on the cost of college because there's a 10-year gap between my oldest daughter and my daughter who's entering college in the fall. And the stunner is how much more expensive college is now than it was just a decade ago. And nothing more than state schools. The cost of a child attending a state college or university in many of the states has gone up at a higher percent increase than the private schools, even though private schools are still a lot more money. And back of the envelope, all in, typical state school will be an amazing 25000 per year now. And that's housing, food, books, tuition, fees. And the average private school net of whatever incentives they offer, somewhere 50-ish. Now, think about for the average family, how in the world do you get that done? How do you get that done? That means that four years at a private school is 200000 more or less. And four years at a state school, 100000 more or less. Who can write that check? Not a lot of people. So I want to talk about alternatives for college that are not exciting to your teenager. And absolutely, 100% at the top of the list is doing the freshman and sophomore year, or at least the freshman year, at a local community college. Now, I hear teenagers letting out a whine all over the country when I say that. But it's a fact that spending the first two years at a community college makes such a difference in bending the cost of college then you're usually talking about a couple of thousand a year living at home versus twenty-five to 50000 a year going away to school, what I call sleepaway college. Our producer, Joel, went to sleepaway private college, and after a year, there was no more money. And Joel then went to a commuter college that was actually a four-year and completed his degree there at 
a fraction of the cost, the three remaining years of school cost substantially less than the first year going to the private sleepaway college. It, w- it wasn't close, was it? Right, yeah. No, the, the years that I spent at the commuter school that you talk about were completely free uh, because our state, like a lot of states out there around the country... Okay, just, just don't try to sugarcoat it. You were brilliant enough that you scholarshiped out on tuition. Just say it. Just say it. <laughs> All right, we'll say that. It might not be true, but we'll say that. No, but it is true. So you had uh, you had some expenses, the fees, things like that, but pretty much you were free on college and after that freshman year. And there are so many ways to do this. I think about what Texas has done that most residents of the state of Texas either aren't aware of, don't care about, don't take advantage of, which is the four-year $10,000 degree. State of Florida, I mentioned Texas and Florida because they've done so much in this area and are the, were they, the second and third most populous states in the country now? Florida has taken its network of community colleges and made them four-year schools all around the state. So a student, just like in Texas, somewhere in the general vicinity of 10,000, you can get a full four-year degree. But let's take the half the loaf thing. And so you do a couple years local, and then you go to a state-supported sleepaway college or a private college, so much of what you take as a freshman, sophomore, or prereqs, you don't get into your serious college course of study in most cases till you're a junior and senior anyway, and you cut the cost of college essentially in half. And that makes such a difference down the road. There are many ways to do it. Just paying the bill and saying, okay, that's what it costs, that's not going to work for me ron is with us on the clark howard show hello ron hi clark it's such a pleasure to talk to you and i just want to say i really appreciate what you and your staff do well you were kind to say that and uh, i understand that you are someone who has a giving heart i would like to think so um first off a little background i'm 47 years old with a business degree and about 25 years working a job i just don't like but I'm in a financial position where I can afford to quit. And I really want to spend my time teaching people about balancing their checkbook, doing a budget and improving their lives by learning about money. And my, my question to you, I I don't really want to be a CFP because I don't want to manage and sell securities. That's not where my, my heart is talking to me, but I think probably something like a consumer credit counselor is a better fit but I know that industry is filled with a lot of scams and I don't want to go that route. And so I'm wondering what advice you might have for both in general and maybe organizations that, that I can be involved with to be a legitimate. All right. I'm, I cannot tell you how much I love this sentiment. This is really great. And I've talked about an organization before Uh, gosh, long ago called Financial Beginnings. That Have you heard of Financial Beginnings? Have you seen them in your search? I have not. 
So it's financialbeginnings.org. And what they're about is getting people when they're young and teaching them the basics of, in, of how to handle money, exactly what you described. Mm-hmm. Not to the extent of, of helping with the, putting the fires out for people who are already in trouble with debt. Their emphasis is much more about teaching to both uh, young people, school-age people, and adults to understand the best ways to handle their money. Mm-hmm. And I would love for you to, to scout out what they're up to and see if it fits what you hope to accomplish. It sounds like a great idea, and I haven't found them. I found other national associations in that area, but not them. And so, Yeah, financial beginnings, I mean, when you said that, it just felt right. Mm-hmm. And so you talk about the other thing, uh, affiliates of the National Foundation for Credit Counseling. I'm not aware of them having a volunteer component to what they do, but they're dealing, they're the firefighters. They're dealing with people whose financial lives are already on fire, trying to help them put the flames out. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if NFCC has a role for volunteers or not. But I kind of like the really positive teaching kind of thing of financial beginnings. Okay. I will check them out. And uh, you may be aware, I, I mentioned from time to time, that we provide advice to people as well off air. It's something we've been doing for 25 years, and we have a team of people who do that, uh, providing advice and counsel to people who call in is members of Team Clark, and you can see how to get free off-the-air advice at Clark.com. But for you, Ron, you know what else occurs to me? There's nothing wrong with you going to work for an NFCC affiliate, unless you don't like getting paid now that you've made all that money. <laughs> my, my thought is actually to open up, if I can find some funding for it, open up an office locally in my city and sit down with people in neighborhoods around I, where I live and help them face-to-face. Huh. Okay. Well, then I think the first I mentioned might be the best. And congratulations to you by in your 40s being at a point where you're completely financially independent and you can now spend your days serving others. That's really great. Mark is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Mark. Hey, Clark, how are you? Great, thank you, Mark. Oh, Mark. Yes, sir. Mark, tell me what's going on with your identity. It is, Clark, and it's it's probably lucky that my brother is honest. We're identical twins. And we seem to share all the information by a certain company that provides uh, information for risk. So your files are what they call in the lingo of the trade, married. Uh, That's a very good word for it. Yeah, that's what they call it, actually, is that if you have uh, your credit files or insurance files or any kind of database where they're tracking your history Mm -hmm. and you get commingled with someone else's data, could be someone of same or similar name, 
in your case, an identical twin, the information ends up all intertwined, and it can make someone who's a good risk look like a bad risk and any of a number of categories of life. And it's one of the hardest things for the database companies to untangle once they've tangled it to do the cleanup of married files. And they will only... So, Mark, yours is really tangled up with your brother? It is, Clark. It goes back, uh, I want to say, at least 25 years. And there's nothing super bad in there. Clark, I never would have even known about this particular company, except I was doing some uh, research for some car insurance, trying to lower my rate a little bit. And when I did get a lower rate, when I went to purchase it, it said, uh, well, do you want to tell us about this accident? And oh, I boy. And I hadn't, knew I hadn't had one. You know. So your twin had a wreck. Right. Very, very minor. So it wasn't huge, but that led to me asking for a complete report, which is 297 pages long. Your, this is your clue report is 297? It was 297 pages, I guess, of everything they had on me. <laughs> and it's uh, about property, uh, email addresses, uh, phone numbers. It's, it's unbelievable. So this is a full LexisNexis report that has that is, you and your twin brother commingled. That is correct. All right. And that's a lot of work for them. So if you contact them, don't do it over the phone because they'll ignore it, do it in writing, and then there's a clear record that okay. you want the commingled files cleaned up. Well, Clark, let me tell you what I did. I got so frustrated after six phone calls. I told them I would had no other choice but to contact you, and I got a call back the next day, and that's exactly what the, the gentleman tried to explain to me, that it was going to take a lot of work. So this has been going on roughly a month. I'm hoping the next report I get will be somewhat better. All right. Well, the the advantage you've given is most people aren't even aware there are these databases outside of credit reports that can affect you in many different ways. Right. And so anytime you need to dispute one, it's got to be in writing. I understand that now. And I want to hear back from you if um, if you do get your LexisNexis cleaned up. Because I need that knowledge from you. And um, I'm glad that for the most part, your brother's done everything right like you have, (laughs) except for the little fender bender. You got to keep him that way. Keep him in line. Today's Clark Rageous moment is a very important heads up for you. Last decade, I used to get call after call from people who either had been scammed or were on the verge of getting scammed in what's known as an advance fee scam. And those went quiet for a long time, and now they have roared back, according to various media reports. And the way these things work is you'll be contacted by someone who pretends to be, or you'll see uh, something on the web from someone who claims to be with a bank or that it's a bank that has a special consolidation program or whatever. And you take the bait. And you let them take a supposed application. And then what happens next is they'll tell you you're approved for the loan. 
but you need to pay blah, blah, blah fees for insurance or processing or whatever. Completely bogus, completely a scam. Understand that if you are facing difficulty with your debts and someone says they're going to help you with them, but you need to pay money up front, know that 100% of the time, 100% of the time, you're getting scammed. The second somebody says you need to pay them money before you have the loan, run, 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 and hide from those people because they're not a legit bank. They're legitimately trying to steal from you, and that's all you got to know. Glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show where you learn ways to save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. You can follow me at facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Seems I know more and more people who are working contract work, working uh, for a company for who knows how long, and you're kind of in a twilight zone, never, never land. You're not really an employee there. You're an independent contractor. And in big corporate environments, you wear the dreaded alternative looking or colored badge. And that's how it signals to everybody, you are a second class non-citizen of wherever you're working. You don't get raises unless you negotiate a new contract. Your contract, in many cases, could end at any time. Hey, whatever happened to Bob? Where's Bob? What about Bob? Oh, I guess he's not here anymore. Unceremoniously, you're out the door. And a lot of employers, particularly larger companies, are going to this concept of core staff and then with everybody else being contractors. Now, there are advantages, some, to being employed this way because you're not actually an employee. But you have more freedom in your life if that's something you desire. Contract ends, you don't have to start another one. But it creates insecurities. And there are some things that I'd like for you to think about if you're working independently. I I meet so many people that are self-employed or entrepreneurial on airplanes. And I was talking to a gentleman who is an engineer. And he's on an engineering contract, and he was talking with me about some of the issues that he faces being on that engineering contract, including all the travel he has to do, and that he wasn't sure he wanted to do it anymore. And so what is needed if you want to be able to say, you know what, eh, I'm done with this. The most important thing for someone who's working contract work, independent contractor, working for yourself, you have a greater need to save money out of each check than normal earthlings working as a regular employee somewhere. Your employment by nature is less stable. You, in many cases, are going to have to do your own estimated payments to to the IRS that you have to budget for. 
you are more likely to have episodes of breaks in paychecks coming in or whatever you call it when you're an independent contractor. And so you have a much higher hurdle of what you've got to save out of each payment you earn as an independent contractor. Also, one of the greatest risks to people who do work where you're doing specialized things, like maybe you're doing graphic design or any kind of work where you're laying out your labor and then you're billing for it, is getting paid by clients. And so you need to have a plan for that. You need to be prepared. In short, if you are working as a self-employed individual or an independent contractor, you have to think of how you're doing what you do completely 180 degrees different than someone who is employed in a traditional job. You need to think through all the various things. How are you going to provide for health care for yourself? If you're married, have kids, how are you going to provide for your family? Many people who work on contract or, or independently employed are on a spouse's health coverage, and that can work. But you need to think through what is your plan and actually sit and write it down How are you going to deal with the contingencies that pop up? And what is your long-term goal? As long as you've really thought all that through, in some ways, you're close to being your own boss when you're doing independent contract work. You just got to make sure that you really like being your own boss and that you put the financial foundation in place that when the gig ends, you're okay. And when I say gig, I didn't mean the gig economy. Because <laughs> most people who work independently aren't working based on some app. Kathy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Certainly, Kathy. Now, speaking of working, you want to talk about where you work. Um, well, more specifically about um, income taxes, you were talking about it um, earlier this week um, about um, getting too much return for your income tax and that when that happens, you should adjust how much you're getting taken out. And I just wanted to know what was the best way to figure that out. I've done a couple different calculators and they're giving me all different numbers. Isn't that stunning? Have you tried the one on Kiplinger? No. Uh-uh. I like the one that Kiplinger did. Kiplinger.com, K-I-P-L-I-N-G-E-R.com. Try it. And with calculators, it's just like a retirement calculator or anything else. Uh, Each organization that designs a calculator um, has differences in the methodology of how they design it. So if you've done two of them so far? Yes. uh So do the Kiplinger. That'll pick up a third one. If you notice that... uh, Kiplinger is very close to one of the other two you did. I would blend those two and use that as the way you come up with typical withholding from your check. Okay. All right. Great. Because do you normally get a substantial tax refund? 
Uh, unfortunately, yes. <laughs> I was listening to your show, and I know we're not supposed to do that, but... Well, I mean, I'm, supposed to. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not, it's not a horrible thing. It's just better <laughs> if you don't get a big refund, because it's money that if you think about, let's say you say, okay, I'm going to reduce my withholding by $50 a paycheck. You could then methodically pop that $50 every paycheck into your own Roth IRA. Right. Right. Or whatever it is going on in your taxes. life. Sorry? I just worry about having to pay taxes. I'm worried about making the change. So. Yeah, you know, if you had to make a small tax payment next April, that's not a tragedy. But having a large refund that you're waiting for, and let's say somebody does tax ID theft on you, and they file a return as if they're you, that refund you've been counting on, you may wait from 10 months to 14 months to get. Right. So there's lots of advantages to recalculating your withholding and making sure you're not going to get giant money that you're waiting for for a year, and you can put it to use in your life right away. Right. With the changes that they're making with 2018, you know, we're getting the bigger paycheck. Does that mean they're taking out less taxes? Yes. Kind of... Yeah, so it's possible that here's the crazy thing. There are people who the withholding tables adjusted and they may be being underwithheld. That's what I'm afraid of. So the people who most often are going to find they're underwithheld are people who historically have done meaningful deductions for state and local tax. And now because of the tight cap on state and local tax deduction that's in the tax bill, tax law, those folks could end up actually owing more tax than they used to. Okay. And so that heavily affects people who live in uh, nice houses that they pay a lot of property tax or live in states with um, high state taxes generally, which would be like New Jersey, Connecticut, New York, uh, Illinois, California, um, be just some examples. But there are a number of people who could face higher st- higher federal tax, even that live in low-tax states, but have a really nice house that they pay a lot of property tax on. Okay, and so the Kiplinger, that'll take that into account? As best I could tell looking through their methodology... I think it will help you. Okay, great, Clark. I appreciate it. All right, and good job. What are you going to use the money for, the extra money it tells you you should put aside each month into something? You know I'm going to put it in my retirement. (laughs) Well, I am so glad for that because much better building in your retirement account on a monthly basis than sitting there with the IRS earning zip. April's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, April. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my call. Absolutely, April. What time are all our massages today? (laughs) I have one starting in about 30 minutes. All right. (laughs) We'll we'll let Kim go first. Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So what's happening, April? How can I be of service? Well, um, I actually opened my own just a one-person business about six months ago. And uh, my professional association sent us some paperwork 
offering to give me uh, disability income insurance. So my husband and I have been discussing if we should do that. Um, how do we know what's a reasonable deal for that? If we should look online with a broker? Yeah, so I love it when a, a trade association is making an offer mm-hmm. because that means that the underwriter has considered your choice of profession as a massage therapist. Okay. And what you've got to look close at with the offer from them is how do they define work or profession? Because let's say, I mean, imagine you uh, have a hand injury. Mm -hmm. You can't do your job, right? Right. So you got to pay really close attention to how they define what would be suitable replacement work. So many times you'll think, well, I I can't be a massage therapist till this hand heals. And so I'm out of work, blah, 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 long. And they say, well, you could go... Um, wait tables at a restaurant or something. I mean, you've got to really look at something that clearly identifies your profession. Not just say, well, you could do something else, but the definition of profession is one of the key criteria, maybe the most important in a disability insurance policy. Okay. But in addition to the quote that you'll get from the insurer through the trade association, I would like you to, do you have like a um, business liability policy? you have anything like that yet? Yes. Uh, call the uh, agent who did your general liability policy for you and ask him or her for referral to a disability insurance broker. Okay. And get a quote um, from someone who can quote that for your profession. Okay. This this thing of uh, me jumping all over the your profession thing, this is a constant problem for people. You know, where a doctor will have a disability or a dentist or any, particularly in the medical field, and mm-hmm. some of the insurers with a straight face will say, "Well, yeah, you can't be a surgeon, but you could go do whatever, whatever." And so that's why the definition of okay. The scope of work is so central to buying disability. Okay. And but, is there any key words that I should be looking for when they define that for me? Well, you should have a pretty good sense from the okay. one the association has negotiated. If somebody at the association did a good job, it's okay. going to be one that has the proper scope of definition. Okay. Perfect. And I want to wish you the best running your own business. I love being an entrepreneur. I'm excited. I love doing it. Well, great. Well, have a great day. Thank you very much, Clark. Have a good day. Thank you. Brian is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Brian. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Great. Thank you. Brian, you want to talk saving for college. That is correct. I was uh, wondering about 529 plans. I was wondering if multiple people can contribute to the same plan. Uh, for instance, if I set one up and down the road a family member would like to contribute, can they do that to my plan or would they have to set up their own? So what they can do, the the answer is technically no, but because uh, there can only be one owner and one designated beneficiary. And 529 plans, uh, it, sometimes it'll slip through, but they're not even supposed to take a check for additional contributions to a 529 plan from anyone other 
than the named individual who owns the plan. But any individual can give any other individual up to $15,000 in a year without any gift or tax implications at all. So someone could, if they want to give you money, Brian, to go into your child's 529 plan that you own with your child named as the beneficiary, if they trust you, they can just give Mm -hmm. you the money and you slap it in the 529 account. I see. Otherwise, it's just as you said, they'd have to set up a new 529 with them as the owner with your child as the named beneficiary. Okay. So are you right now putting money into a 529 plan that other family members are willing to pop money into? Not right now. I was thinking of opening up one, but in doing that, just had a few other questions. So I'm just going to do my due diligence. All right. Let me tell you some things you should know about 529s as you search around. You want to buy one um, that is what's known as direct sold where you go straight to the link for the plan and open it so you're not paying commissions on the plan. And all the good plans in the country are direct sold. Okay. Yeah, I did see. I'm in Minnesota, and that's on your dean's list. So that's what I was looking at. Yeah, Minnesota has an extremely low-cost plan now, and it's great. Now, I like for you, not just with Minnesota in your case, but with any of the states, that you go in the age-based portfolio okay? where they automatically adjust the mix of investments and you don't have to fool with that. Okay. And so uh, in these plans, they're so incredibly efficient because you put the money in tax-free, it grows, it's spent tax-free, it and the earnings. And what has changed over the years is now so many of the plans are so extremely low cost for the management and operation of them, where when they first started, the big knock on them was how ridiculously expensive they were. And now that's fortunately mostly a problem of the past. So good for you. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews. 